Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 266, I have the privilege of welcoming Food Network star, Melissa D'Arabian. We are meant to delight in, in God's food system. And in God's food system, he created our palate and then created the foods that will satisfy mm. that palate. So if we lean into and trust God's system, his feedback loop of, we want something sweet, so here's a peach. If we can trust God's system and God's food world, then we can let go of the false thing, the big blue drink that has zero calories, but it's so crazy sweet. Celebrity chef, television host, best-selling author, speaker, and mom to four girls. Melissa D'Arabian is coming on the show today, and we know she can cook affordable and family-friendly meals. We've seen her on $10 dinners on the Food Network and Uh, on her social media, just helping a mom out. Today, she is sharing some of her research and study of food and its connection to gratitude and God's love for us. Today, she says, food is God's love made delicious and it's transformative. Y'all, after I was done, she actually came to my house. You'll hear about that. And when my son was here and he asked for a snack and I felt compelled to give him grapes, like the processed options seems subpar after our conversation and not out of a guilt place, but just like this beautiful understanding of God's gift through what grows on a vine. Anyway, you'll hear more about that in this episode. I hope you are listening while you're cooking, maybe even, or making your Thanksgiving meal as we truly gather around the table and say our gratitude back to God. Uh, Before we get to it, though, I want to give a shout out and a big thanks to this month's sponsor, Phonics Museum. So my first question is, have you gone to your iOS app store to check out Phonics Museum? There you're going to see some screenshots, some pictures, some information about the app. It helps children to read in record speed. It's it's directed towards kids ages three to seven and uses a multi-sensory approach. There's over 900 books, videos, games, lessons, and songs so that they love learning. And there's even live action animation because experts agree children best learn to sound out new letter sounds when hearing and seeing native speakers speak. If one mom, she said it's working for them. They've tried other reading curriculums and it's been slow going, but her daughter asks to use the app every day and they're seeing improvements. So if you want to check it out, Go to your iOS store. You can try it for two weeks and then decide if you want to sign up for a monthly subscription or an annual subscription, and you can have up to three kids on one account. It's called Phonics Museum. All right, let's get to my chat with Melissa. Here we go. Melissa, welcome to my house. No, I am in your your house. You open up the door to a total stranger. To a Food Network star. (laughs) Slash stranger. Slash complete stranger. You're like Abraham. (laughs) (laughs) But we did have a connection. I felt better. You felt better. Yeah. My husband's cousin and her daughter and your daughter danced together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
So, yeah, not really strangers. So, so you're really vetted. It's totally reasonable that I was dropped off at a <laughs> random house in the suburbs of, uh, of Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. And, and like, yes, the Uber driver then left, you know, didn't check to make sure that I was alive when I walked through the front door. No, it is all you good. You are yeah. so brave. No, I'm, no I, you're brave to let me in, but um, yeah. I know I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, okay. If y'all didn't catch it, Melissa, the reason we're even talking started because God assigned you a situation that not everybody gets to be in, which is becoming a Food Network star and then to have a show. So tell us about that journey of, I guess, a celebrity and real life and mixing. And what did you learn in that experience? What was that like for you? Well, I've been in the food space now for my job for a little over a decade. That's amazing. Yeah, that flew by. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, as somebody who's in the food space for my job and in the food space as a woman and, I mean, I'm a mom, you know, we are in a society that is really obsessed with food. Hmm. We are obsessed with, you know, we've got Instagram photos and celebrity chefs and we're reading cookbooks just to read them, not to make the recipes. And so we are simultaneously obsessed with food, but also very disconnected from food. Mm. We are at a point in our Western culture where the fewest of us um, are actually part of growing and making our food, which, listen, there's technology. And so I'm not suggesting that we need to go back to the olden times where we are all farmers. But what I am saying is the result is a level of disconnection that I couldn't quite reconcile with the obsession. Mm. And when I'm confused about what to do in a sea of mixed messages, you know, body image messages or work off that food at the gym messaging. Right, right, right. Or, you know, uh, don't eat tomatoes because they have too much sugar, (laughs) you know, but have a bright blue sports drink that has... No sugar, but, you know, all electrolytes, sorts of, all sorts of artificial whatever. Yes. Yeah. And electrolytes yes. all in the name of health. When I can't reconcile all of these messages, for me, I have to look to the one place that is fixed and that I know to be true. And for me, that's God. Mm. So living in this whirlwind, I I felt like I needed to turn to God and say, mm. what is God have to say about food? Mm. What are, what are God's thoughts on our food culture? And that's what led me to writing Tasting Grace was trying to make sense of it all for me. Yeah. And what did you discover? Like where did that take you? So that took me to the Bible. And it took me to a lot of early mornings. Um, I'm a big believer. I'll back up and say that I'm a big believer in, for me, early morning time in the Bible or in devotionals, um, in prayer. So for me, that's kind of my sacred space and time. And I use it for sort of different things, if you will. So that morning time was used to explore food Mm -hmm. um, and to sort of see, really, what does God have to say about food? I know what society is saying about food because I'm in it, but I didn't know what God was saying about food, really. Mm -hmm. I wasn't intentional about seeking that out. And so that's what I did. I, I sought that out every morning for 
couple of years, um, really with the intention of it being for me because I needed to figure it out. Were you like Googling food and God? I mean, some of the listeners, they always ask me like, I don't know how to study the Bible. And so we've had episodes on how to study the Bible or like they want to study a certain topic. And for you, was it looking in concordance or looking... Like how do you do you just start reading the whole Bible and look anytime God mentions food or what was your approach? Well, my approach was multifaceted. Okay. Um, on one hand, I always have a um, a Bible app going. I use the U version, uh, the Bible in a Year app. I always have that going, and for me, it's like the Bible in three years because <laughs> I don't do it every single day. Right. Yeah. Um, so I always Realistic. have this. Yeah. I have. Well, for me, I have this thread going of constantly reading the Bible. Okay. So there's sort of that going in the background mm-hmm. um, of sort of anything I do, and then you know you sort of I think jokingly said, "Did you Google? You know, where's yeah. food in the Bible?" Yes, yeah. I did. Okay. I did. Um, I mean, I did a version of that. I reached out to friends of mine who um, are well-versed in the Bible and said, tell me about your favorite spots mm. where food appears in the Bible. Mm. So I got some resources there. Then I also know about some of the you know yeah. classic stories of yeah. food in the Bible. So I kind of looked there. You know, And mind you, this was several years of looking at this. So I also always belong to at least one Bible study. And in the Bible study, things would come up where, you know, we're reading about Galatians and it's, you know, talking about, um, you know, food in Galatians. So there were all these different places where I could sort of direct my energies and focus my energies, I guess, Mm -hmm. so that I'm not just starting on page one of Genesis and reading through to Revelations. So that, that was sort of where I started. Then the other resource for me was I started looking at what books were out there. And there's a great book called Food and Faith by Norman Wurzbach, who's a theologian over at Duke University. And he's brilliant. I mean, he is brilliant. I read his book, Food and Faith, which is very, very dense in the best way possible. It reads really more like a textbook. Mm -hmm. But um, I read it. And within one evening of like being there with my notes and my you know, highlighter, I, the next day, like Googled him to find out where was he speaking and where could I go see him speak because I had to meet him. I had to hear him speak. And as it happened, there was a, um, he was going to be speaking like five months later in Montreal. So I literally booked a flight to go to this conference to Montreal. And like, I, I kind of stalked him on the internet and I was like, can't wait to see you at your conference. And he's probably thinking, wait, what? Like, what? Isn't that like five months from now? Like you're, you're excited now for a conference that's happening in five months. Um, yes, yes, Norm, I am. And so by the time he got to the conference, he sort of knew who I was. Yeah. Um, because I Because had, of the stalking. Yeah, yeah right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And in, in a very unscary yeah. um, sort of way. Yeah. And to my delight, he has just become a mentor oh, and a friend. That's awesome. And we uh, just spoke at a conference for a week together in Alaska this summer. So it's just Fantastic. been. Such a delight. But my point is, is that um, looking at his book, reading it and seeing what he has to say, that gave me a lot of uh, scriptural direction Mm -hmm. and also some help understanding the scripture in a deeper, more meaningful way and within the context of food and um, agriculture and creation care. So, you know, reading his book and then 
Norm has a lot of footnotes. <laughs> I jokingly said to him, it takes me just as long to read the footnotes. Right. Because um, it's smaller print, but it's like probably just as much text. But in his footnotes, I mean, he has so many references to great books. So next thing I'm getting those books. So it really became this spiritual and academic and um, heart-filled study yeah. of this topic. And I just marinated in it for three years. Wow. Having been in the food culture, did you see it transform, not just yourself knowing more, but how you interacted with food, with your family, you have four girls, like how did it change you personally? Because I know when I study something, it changes me. Oh, writing Taste and Grace was incredibly transformative. Yeah. I almost <laughs> can't eat a meal without without feeling a level of gratitude and, and joy. Listen, I've always loved food and I've always been grateful and I say grace and I do, you know, but the richness and depth of that gratitude is so different for me now. I was on an airplane a week or two ago uh, for book promo stuff and the, the flight attendant served me the salad, like just like a real basic, I mean, it's airplane food. It's right. salad, right? right? It's not, it's, right. it's by all counts, um, society would consider it not special. And in fact, maybe even make fun of airplane food. Right, it's a joke. Right, yeah. right. And, you, and there I am with this salad and I just thought, oh, like somebody grew this arugula and somebody grew this, you know, these baby spinach shoots and like there's, the DNA of the soil that is in here, like someone else on this plane is having that same DNA. And the soil, like somewhere there are like microbes of soil, like somewhere, like I'm 30,000 feet up in the air and yet I'm connected to the earth that grew these vegetables. And then you know, there's like tomato on it. And I thought, like tomato, I mean, have you ever grown a tomato? Yes, it's one. It's hard. I grew one yes. tomato. Yes, you grew one tomato. <laughs> that was it. It's so it's hard, so hard. Yeah. to grow a tomato. Yeah. And I grew tomatoes, <laughs> um, but not that many. <laughs> and like they were lackluster and, right. you know, whatever. But still, I'm like, guys, this is amazing. <laughs> Everyone will have one slice, you know, because we have one tomato for the six of us. Right. And it's kind of like hard and not all that sweet and amazing. But I, I mean, it's a miracle. Mm. A tomato is a miracle. Mm. And so to see this like chopped tomato that was red and sweet and gorgeous on a salad 30,000 feet up in the sky, I thought like God has done some wonderful handiwork with this tomato. Mm. Because as much as we can garden and tend to the garden and water the garden, God does the transformation. Mm. And so I, I was in awe of this tomato. And then I thought about like this cilantro dressing that was on this salad that was delicious and perfectly balanced. And I thought somebody created that recipe. I know what that's like to create a recipe right, in a right. kitchen and trying out all these things. Somebody decided on cilantro and not basil. And somebody had this balance and added that little bit of lemon or acid to give it a little bit of balance. Like I thought, this person is creative and I'm up here and they have no idea that their creativity has made my life a little bit better. Mm. And I thought, ah, the creativity of that. And then the flight attendant who's like walking down the aisle, you know, like, oh, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, oh, club soda, please. And she just smiled. I'm taking out my earphones or whatever. And 
just connecting with her for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, and she go, oh, here you go, there, you know, little napkin and what? And I think, oh, we just connected. Like the, the invitations for one meal, I mean, Tasting Grace is 16 chapters, 16 invitations, and 16 sort of different stories or settings, if you will. But the invitations are intermingled, mm-hmm. right? Every meal we have, can be an invitation into creativity, community, mm-hmm. patience. Like a multi-level invitation yes. in one meal. Yeah, that's yes. amazing. And yeah. so the fact that I could sit there just even for a moment and marvel just for a moment, have the patience to spend one minute at least to honor mm. everything that's gone into this, it connected me more to God. And it made me enjoy the food more. So my hope is that by reading Tasting Grace, people will enjoy their food more fully and find that meals, even though they didn't mean for it to happen, that meals actually bring them closer to God with every bite they take. So powerful. It's a, it's, it's a lofty goal. I realize, no, but, but that's I'm thinking, what it's done for me. I'm thinking my brain is going to all of the meals that have brought me the most satisfaction have been with people mm-hmm. lingering, um, a, a welcoming home or I'm even thinking of Israel. I'm thinking of the spiritual experience of being in the Holy land, a Shabbat dinner, hours, Mm -hmm. prayer and blessing, going around the table, everyone giving a blessing. And it was a meal. It was simply a meal, right? But in in the food came alive because of the people, because of the setting, because of the time. So I agree with you. Yes, the invitations are there. And I'm thinking about all of the, the things you were saying, body image and loneliness and needing to diet because we're not feeding our bodies well. I'm thinking... That kind of gets solved if we, a little bit, if Mm -hmm. we enjoy the food and say yes to those invitations, we kind of get that satisfaction so we don't look for it in false options that will never satisfy. You know, I I love that you bring that up and I love that you call that false options. That's That's a really nice language around it. But yeah, God created a food system a way to feed us, Mm. Um, which by the way, is a delicious food system. So we can remove this idea of having to feel guilty Mm. that we enjoy or that we have a palate that enjoys sweet, juicy peaches or, Mm. um, you know, creamy avocados. We are meant to delight in, Mm. in God's food system. And in God's food system, he created our palate and then created the foods that will satisfy Mm. that palate. So if we lean into and trust God's system, his feedback loop of, we want something sweet, so here's a peach. If we can trust God's system and God's food world, then we can let go of the false thing, the big blue drink that has zero calories, but it's so crazy sweet. Yeah. You know, our, our palates really weren't designed mm. to have that much sweetness in one place. Mm. That, that's our doing. That's yeah. not his doing. Mm. And so if we lean into the joy, the gratitude, and the acceptance and put ourselves in a posture of accepting God's food system as a gift, 
then we're in so much gratitude that it seems hardly necessary to take a bunch of sweetness and concentrate it and then put it in a way that doesn't have calories. Yeah. It just seems unnecessary. Yeah. It's, now, it's switching your mindset. It, it is. And it's switching our palate. I mean, we have we have adulterated our, our palate in such a way that we like that level of sweetness. But if you've ever, you know, you hear it over and over again, if you ever remove added sugars for, you know, even five days, and then you take a bite of a blueberry, it's, you're like, wait, this blueberry is way sweeter than it was, you know, yes. two weeks ago. Yes. You, so, your body adjusts. Your body adjusts. Your, it does. Your cells crave what they know is mm-hmm. what I've heard. Like it takes mm-hmm. a while for them to start craving something different. You mm-hmm. can have to re-establish habits of what you eat. Going to jump in here and thank another one of our sponsors because as Christian moms, women who follow Jesus, we desire to teach our children as much about our faith as we can. But oftentimes busyness gets in the way or we just need a little help knowing what to say. That's why I'm thrilled to share with you a brand new resource that partners with parents in family discipleship. It's called Kids Faith Crate, and it's a monthly craft subscription box to help cultivate your child's faith. So every month, your family's going to get a new box or crate, as they call them, filled with weekly family Bible lessons and coordinating crafts. You'll get weekly scripture reading, questions for conversation, a memory verse, and a prayer based on that scripture you can pray over your child. Kids Faith Crate provides convenience, fun, and gives direction in family discipleship. Their crates are targeted to kids ages 4 to 10, and there's an option to include craft supplies for up to three children. Go to kidsfaithcrate.com, crate is spelled with a K, and use the code DMA10 to get $10 off any subscription. Such a great idea for Christmas present or a way to reach one of your 2020 goals of getting together in God's Word. All right, let's get back to my time with Melissa. She's going to share how she handles body image and food with her girls. How has it impacted your girls? Like how the conversation around teens and body image and food, and I'm not going to eat that because, you know, they're just not eating sometimes. They're just Mm -hmm. avoiding. um, And just the epidemic of, you know, anorexia and bulimia. And we've had shows on those topics. But I'm thinking having this positive language around invitation and community and food and grace, has it impacted your girls? Do you see them with healthy perspectives of food? I mean, one's a dancer, so that's a whole world of body image. Mm-hmm. And she's a ballet dancer. Right. Oh. Which is even trickier. Yeah, I can um, only imagine. So, yes, this is um, <laughs> who we are mm. um, makes such a difference to who our kids are, right? Or who, what they hear. I should say really the messages right. that they hear. And that's actually one of our, and I don't think I'm alone in this and saying this as well. One of my reasons for wanting to reconcile and be right-minded in how I deal with food. Um, one of the reasons is because I want my children, when they are young women going out there in the world, to have the joy of a great relationship with food. Mm. Being a teenager is so hard. Yeah. And, you know, as, as a mom, we know that they don't do as I say, they do as I do. Mm-hmm. And so if I talk about myself in a way that is unkind, mm. not, not only are my kids hearing it, but you know what? God's hearing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, um, you know, now speaking in terms of body image and all of that, I think it must make God feel sad. Mm when I reject the body he has given me. 
And I sort of say, oh, I've got so big thighs or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, like, I'm a, I'm, I think I'm just being self-deprecating. And I'm not. I'm insulting God's handiwork. Mm-hmm. You know, the very God who created the amazing beach and ocean that I live next to and that I go walk to almost every day because I love it so much. And I'm in awe of God's beauty as evidenced by the ocean and beach. That same God created us. And so when I have that self-deprecating language, it really trains my daughters, I think, not to honor God. Mm. And it also gets me out of a grateful, uh, you know, a, a grateful position and a posturing of gratitude and receiving rather than a posture of taking mm. and plowing through and not being mindful about the gift. Um, that's why I suggest I have a chapter uh, in Tasting Grace about um, gardening. I suggest if you haven't grown a tomato, go try to grow a tomato. Yeah. Just like just grow something, because once you try to grow something, you will not look at food the same way again. Mm-hmm. The grocery stores are great because they make it's convenient, yeah, it's convenient. right? It makes delivery of food, you know, really convenient. But the, the lie of the grocery store is that food is easy to grow and that man did it without God. That's the visual lie of the grocery store, if right. you will. And now listen, I love grocery stores. I no, no, love no. grocery We're stores. We're not getting rid of them. We're just acknowledging, like, try to grow something. I just think, it, just to give us a little bit more of a mindful perspective. And, and to be clear, it's not um, one of the things that I was surprised by when I wrote Tasting Grace was... You know, I looked at God and food in the Bible. It was not, you know, admonition. It wasn't, oh, you're doing it wrong. How right. dare you go to a grocery store instead <laughs> of growing your own? No, it wasn't that. And it wasn't even, you should really do blah, blah, blah so that you can. No, it wasn't even that. It was actually just all good news. It was try growing something mm-hmm. because then when you go to the grocery store, you're going to be filled with awe and wonder and gratitude. Mm. Like, how awesome is that? Yeah. That you're going to feel, you're not going to feel guilty. You're going to feel grateful. You'll be like, I didn't have to grow this one. I didn't have to grow this. Yes, someone did I this. I ate some spaghetti squash last night. I've never had that before. Yes. Thank and goodness I didn't have to grow it. And somebody grew it. Yes. It's just, um, it's really the good news of, oh, Okay, now I see, I'm seeing how God is using a tomato Mm. to bring me closer to him, Mm. closer to each other, Mm. closer to our earth. So it's really about the good news of what food can do. And it really can bring us in and draw us into God. And when we look at the Bible, that's what he is doing over and over and over again. And dependence on him. Yes, yes. Well, manna, right? Drawing into the dependence. Yes, yes. But, okay, manna, you bring up the de- the dependence on, a, yeah. on, on, on a daily on, on God. Yeah, yeah. And how God gives the manna on a daily basis, well, six days a week, right? Yeah, six, yeah. Um, right. But what's also amazing about manna is the generosity mm. of God. It's not just, you're going to depend on me and I'm going to be a jerk. It's, <laughs> it's, it's. The, it's being dependent upon a very generous God yeah. who 
fed the Israelites manna, even though they were grumbling and complaining and saying, oh, we should be back in Egypt. At least we had roast then. Fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God gives them manna. And by the way, not only does he have the generosity to give them manna, but the manna is sweet. Mm. So he gave them something that tasted sweet. Mm. So there's a, a loveliness yeah. to the generosity. Mm. And it's so easy to miss that, isn't it? Yeah. And then we go and say, oh, no, but the sweetness, oh, it's too much sugar. You know, like, okay, you know, if we want to say it's too much sugar, let's talk about something where we've concentrated the sugar that man has done. Right, I'm not right. suggesting that we have no limits on sugar that we eat. You know, there are limits to what we're supposed yeah. to eat, and there's honoring God's body that he created in us. But the limit is not at the tomato. That's really, I think, missing the point of God's mm-hmm. um, of God's gift. Uh, Norm Wurzba says that food is God's love made delicious. Mm. I love that. See, isn't it great? You got, you've got food and faith. Anybody who's interested in this from a <laughs> yeah, theological yeah. perspective, yeah. Um, it's it's such a good book. But God is God's love, love made delicious. And that's mm-hmm. Norm Worsba who says that. And it's it's so true, isn't it? Well, I'm thinking when this is live, it's we're heading into Thanksgiving, we're heading into Christmas, and there's a lot of food, a lot of places, and I know the moms that I'm hanging around are like, oh, I'm just, I'm gaining so much weight, or they're beating themselves up, or I'm so stressed, or they're not enjoying mm-hmm. the celebrations, and sometimes we can overdo, and I get that, like what you're saying, there's moderation and all the things, but... I feel like your perspective is going to help us as we're gathering with family intentionally around food to accept those invitations that go deeper, Mm -hmm. deeper than what we traditionally see, to Mm -hmm. go deeper into that and to taste what you're saying in a setting that's part of our our traditions and our routines and then carry that into family dinners and carry that into, Mm -hmm. you know, the new year. I just feel like you're kind of opening our eyes. You know, the culture is going to tell you one thing, but I feel like you're giving us a perspective, a holy perspective, um, a God-honoring perspective that helps give us eyes to see the gifts right in front of us that we're not accepting. It's like leaving a gift right on the doorstep. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I have I have a little bit of like a, of a dream it. for, for the holiday dream. season. And the dream would be, dream. Yes. I have a dream. The dream would be that we could break up the language and the notion that we need to work off Mm. our holiday celebration food in the gym. This Mm. idea of work off the, uh, that last piece of pecan pie by going into the gym tomorrow. And, you know, Mm. and, and this idea that exercise is the punishment for eating. Mm. Um, Because right there in one statement, which sounds harmless and is in media everywhere um, at this time of year, um, right there in one statement, 
we're actually ruining two of God's gifts. Mm. One gift is that we get to move our bodies and that our bodies are made for movement. And that's beautiful and wonderful and fabulous. And then the other is that we get to have food to connect and to celebrate and to feast. Mm. Um, And we see feasting in the Bible. There's feasting and then there's famine. There's seasons for it all. That doesn't mean that we really should be gluttonous and and, and eat all the time and overeat. That's, That's now a different conversation. Yeah. But can we decide at least that we will move our bodies because that's what that's a gift from God too. And let's enjoy the feast with family and, and enjoy and celebrate the extra slice of pumpkin pie that led to an extra hour of conversation with your mm-hmm. Aunt Edna who doesn't get out much anymore. Like can we can we celebrate what happened over that pumpkin pie Mm. rather than say, Oh, pumpkin pie, I'm bad. Now I've got to go into the, um, into the gym to be quote unquote good. Like I, Mm. I would love for us to split those two up and not have one be the punishment for another. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about your, that connecting around food is I think often missing. Um, we're eating alone more, or we're eating on the go, or I'm on my phone, or you see people at restaurants, they're on their phone, they're real, it's quick, it's just, you know, I know I need to eat, and I eat, and I go, but like what you're saying, at the holidays, we have this chance to connect with family members we may not have gotten the chance to throughout the year, and I know family's important to you, and I know mental health is important to you, and I know you've experienced hard things, and your life, and with um, you shared recently on Instagram about your mom's passing, and I think the work that you're doing is not only about food, and not only about bodies and movement, all that stuff. I think it's mental health mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you're doing. You're drawing people together. You're drawing them to find satisfaction in God and the good gifts He's given you, and mm-hmm. ultimately a healthy state of mind, which yeah, is absolutely huge work. Right it now. is. It is huge work. You know, one of the um, characteristics of Tasting Grace that I think is um, was intentional, on, and, and I hope that it's helpful, is that each of the invitations I talk about through the lens of, um, of a piece of my food story or experience. And each one of those chapters is placed in a different setting. Yeah. So, you know, there's a conversation about how I was you know, a hungry child as, you know, as a young child and, and put on a school lunch program. And so there's a conversation about, you know, about hungry kids and and compassion and what that looks like and what did Jesus model for us. Um, and there, you know, there's a chapter about kind of the behind the scenes of what it's like to be on Food Network Star and, you know, what, what, what were, what was the, the invitation there? What was, what did, what did God show me there? Mm. And, you know, and then there's living in France and the patience of a French meal, which takes (laughs) forever. Forever. Um, And very late. Yes. Yes. And long. Yeah. Um, but one of the chapters is also about losing my mom to suicide. And so it's in this setting of this bigger conversation about um, about mental health um, and about how food can be used or at least how it was used in my life to draw me out of, of a 10-year season of grief and what I call my spiritual winter mm-hmm. and how food was part of that drawing out. So yes, you mentioned the themes of mental health. So throughout throughout the book, there are these different themes. Yeah. And my hope is 
that everyone has a different piece of the food story, and by that I mean the global food story, um, that speaks to them. You know, mm-hmm. is it the chapter about about body image that I, you know, that I talk about when I had sort of this realization that we are using the word skinny as a proxy for healthy and, and good. And, and skinny is just a description. It's not, it's not bad. It's not good, but it's become something else. So maybe it's that chapter. Maybe it's a chapter about mental health and, you know, and suicide prevention and, and, and grief. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my hope. My hope is that people will identify with different chapters. Mm-hmm. And so even if somebody doesn't want to read the whole thing from start to finish, although it is an order, I mean, it does, there is an order to it. It's right. not random. But um, if somebody wants to just pick out a chapter and sort of marinate on, you know, in one setting and world um, that speaks to them more, that's a totally legit way to read Tasting Grace is by picking out the chapters that interest you the most. Mm. So much you just said that I want to like, as a friend, just talk more about and just say, I'm sorry about your mom. I'm sorry about that loss. 10 years of grief is a long time. It's a long time. And a spiritual winter is, I think a lot of people that's, they get that. Um, Yeah. A spiritual winter is a rough place to be. And I just, if I can offer just a tiny bit of hope in that yeah. space. Um, one thing now I realize looking back at that spiritual mm-hmm. winter that God's closeness is not dependent upon my ability to feel it. Mm-hmm. And so looking back at the spiritual winter, I now realize it was me who just wasn't reaching out to God. God was there and alongside the entire time. Mm. So I think that sometimes the only way out of something is through it. Mm. And so I don't regret that spiritual winter. It, I, I went through it and came out the other end in all the more grateful. Mm. But it helped to know that he had been there all along. Mm. And I also believe God is strong enough to take on my my doubts and questions. Mm. So I don't think that God freaks out um, when we have our doubts and questions and when we feel like maybe he's further away than, um, than we think. He's actually much closer than we think, even if we don't feel him. He's bigger than our ability to feel him, I guess, is, is the, the hope that I would offer. I think that a lot of people reach out to me going through really hard times. I don't know if it, I mean, my husband's like, well, you just know more about it because of social media. I'm like, I, I don't know. It just feels like there's like this heaviness and this pressing in. And those who've gone before, like yourself, who've walked through those seasons and can shout from the rooftops, God is close by, even if you don't feel him, I think is a glimmer of hope. And hope has a different meaning when you're in those dark places. Mm-hmm. I mean, you breathe hope. I mean, you are, it's like, everything to you with this idea that I can get to the other side of whatever I'm walking through. And I've had other friends that their parents have committed um, suicide and it is tragic beyond tragic. And I don't know how old you were. I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. So that age in itself Mm -hmm. is very challenging. And then to walk through that, um, I know someone else can, relate to you and I know that they may reach out to you and say 
you know, I get it. And that was me or that is me right now. So I appreciate you sharing about that in your book and here and, um, goodness, I want to talk for days, but I think this is all the time we have. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, Melissa, I I can't wait to have my next meal. I, I, well, and I'm not going to be standing in the kitchen. I'm going to sit. I'm going to. Even if you are standing in the kitchen, right? right. There's still, I mean, I was up on an airplane and I was. (laughs) Right. True, true, true. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't. It doesn't. And. You know, we've got these, you know, the 16 invitations, but they're all kind of blended in. Mm. And so literally one bite of food can remind us of so much that God is giving us. And so one bite of food can offer so much hope if we just pay attention just a little bit. And and it's not just because it's the right thing to do. It really will make us love food all the more. Thank God. Yeah. It really will. Because it draws us into God. And Mm -hmm. so when, when a bite of a granola bar can feel like some small version of worship, Mm. That's a good place to be. Right. Right? Because then it's we, because we eat every day. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully. And again, we get to eat every day. Yeah. God could have made a food system where we didn't eat every day. Yeah. That's true. Oh, where do people find you online? So I'm often on Instagram or Facebook. Yes. I'm also on Twitter, but mostly on Instagram and Facebook. And then melissadarabian.net.net. Dot com was taken. Of course. Yeah. There's a Melissa Arabian. There's another one? No, there isn't. They They're just sitting it. on it. <gasps> it's the Wild West, I'm telling y'all. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So someone's been squatting name. it for, for, yeah. Ever since they announced. Like, the winner. They, no, no. It was actually when they announced, when it was put in the papers. I mean, like, when it, just the, the cast. Door. Just the cast. <gasps> yeah. Anyway, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, it's like, and it turns out it's like a 16-year-old kid in like his parents' basement. <laughs> it was just, it was, anyway, it's a whole thing. Long story short. No one's going to forget uh, though. Yeah. Dot net. So dot net. Isn't that if funny? they can spell the Arabian. I kept thinking, he, I kept thinking eventually he's going to give up. <laughs> and I guess every year he renews it. We're 11 <laughs> years into it. He's still renewing it. Okay. Oh, my Enjoy. Stars. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I mean, yeah. the behind the scenes. I know. Thanks. Thanks. Well, appreciate you and all that you're doing. Thank you. You have a depth and you are a gift to all of us. And I know God assigned you where he did for the purpose for right now. So just thanks for having praying me. over your journey. Thank you. Thank you. All right, adios. Thanks y'all for listening. I know this time of year can be a bit tricky. And so my hope is that that conversation with Melissa would just direct our hearts back to true gratitude and understanding of God's love for us. I'm gonna pray for us in a minute, but I wanted to tell you a little backstory. A few years ago when my kids were young and we were traveling and celebrating with family and I knew that I would get anxious and that I would get frustrated with different family members. And it wasn't the family members, it was me. But God directed me, and I think a mentor did, to memorize a piece of scripture. And so at any time I got tempted to, you know, say something bad about someone else or grumble or just get anxious, I would instead reach for these words from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And so I'm actually going to just pray them over us, and I would encourage you just to reach out to God and say, God, what scripture do you want to med- me to meditate on over this next holiday season Um, What are you trying to communicate to me? And just be intentional about it, and you're going to find it's transformative. So let me pray Philippians over us. It's Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Lord, 
you know what is ahead of whoever is listening and you are present with her and you go before her. And I thank you for these words from Paul when he just encourages the church to rejoice in you always, Lord. And he says it again, rejoice, to let our gentleness be evident to everyone because, Lord, you are near that we should not be anxious about anything, but in every single situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our requests to you, God. Instead of talking to someone else, Lord, may we bring it to you. And so that your peace, God, would transcend all of our earthly understanding, that you would guard our hearts and our minds with Christ Jesus. And finally, that whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that we would think and keep our mind occupied with those things. And whatever we've learned or heard, that we would put it into practice so that the God of peace, you God, would be with each of us. Thank you, God, for your presence and the peace that you give that passes understanding. Thank you for the good gifts you've given us, even in the hardest times, even in the hardest seasons, that you are still a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have one more episode in November. Can you believe it? December has five Mondays. I will not be releasing episodes on the podcast in your streams or on your podcast players, but I'm thinking about releasing a series of emails that will have links to past episodes focused on either, drumroll please, uh, going to bed guilt-free or helping you manage your anger, how to be a calm parent. And so I'm polling Instagram now. I will make sure that a link to sign up for that five-week journey is available on the show notes or on Instagram or both. And um, just keep an eye out for that because... I'm going to see if I can make it so it's something that's available all the time, if I'm going to put energy into it. I know that December is crazy, but sometimes you do need something to listen to while you're fold, you're wrapping gifts or working on Christmas cards or whatever you're doing. So um, I still want to be a support to you in the weeks of December, but um, it helps our team to take a little Sabbath and then we'll be back in January. We have interviews with lots of amazing guests I can't wait to share with you. So... Thanks, y'all, for joining me today. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.